0: 313814567 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's word on this edition of the virtual Bible study.
1: Welcome you to the virtual Bible study for Thursday. March 10th, 2016. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad.
2: Jacob, great to be with you tonight. Good to
1: be with you as well. Kyle's back behind the boards tonight. Kyle, thank you for being here.
2: It's always good to be here.
1: Well, I look forward to hearing some comments from you tonight and I look forward to hearing from you on the other end of the line. Questions at collegeview.com, 877-381-4567. Those are the numbers you, and email address you can use at any time, even if you're not listening to us live. But if you are listening to us live... Check us out in the chat room to the bottom of your video feed on the program tonight. Look forward to hearing from you on the program on a subject that I'm sort of
2: wondering about. Well, it's a little unusual. I just, just thought we'd deal with some curiosity kind of questions. You know, uh, Some of them are doctrinal, uh, but some of them are just sort of, I wondered about that. And so I, when I sent out our update to the update list earlier today, I just titled it, I always wondered about that. And we're going to ask about five or six different questions. I guess if you put all the parts together, there are going to be a total of uh, seven questions we're going to deal with. But just sort of questions that maybe people scratch their head about and wonder, wonder what that means or wonder what the details of that episode were, that sort of thing. So we, we just entitled it, I Always Wondered About That.
1: I always Wondered About That. You, you told me on the phone that you – I said, well, what are we going to talk about? You said, I got it covered. You said, I've always wondered about that. I thought – uh, so what's the
2: topic? <laughs> but okay. So uh, earlier today to our update list, we sent out the news of what our topic was going to be, and we sent some questions. We got we got more feedback tonight by email we than we usually yeah, do. It's
1: like the old days. Actually.
2: And so uh, we'll try to get to those emails that we're sending. It's not too late to send in another one if you want.
1: We are, we're, uh, we're
2: international tonight. Um, James
1: Buchanan from South Africa, Chris from the UK,
2: yeah, and, and some, uh,
1: Ramona from Texas. That's almost international. That's uh, almost international. Yeah.
2: So we, we got several, uh, emails. We'll try to get to them. Here's the questions we sent out. Get on our email update list. If you're not, send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Say, add me to the list. And on Thursday about noontime or shortly before, you'll get, uh, our update about what we're going to talk about. Today we ask these questions. Number one, what should we do with questions that the Bible either doesn't answer or doesn't definitively answer? So that's sort of, that's sort of general with the theme. We want to talk, what about some of these questions? And maybe they're hard to answer. Maybe we can't get a, a, a definite answer about them. Okay. Number two, what about Jephthah's daughter? I think in all the years of the Virtual Bible Study, we've never dealt with Jephthah's daughter. We haven't. I, I thought we had. Uh, I don't think we have. Did Jephthah offer his daughter as a human sacrifice? That's a question that comes up pretty often. Okay. Number three, what was Paul's thorn in the flesh? Mm-hmm. Got any ideas on that? We've got some ideas in our emails. Yeah. Number four, did Solomon really believe that the earth would never be destroyed? Is that what he said in Ecclesiastes 1, verse 4?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, our Jehovah's Witness friends like to misuse that verse. Okay, We'll talk about that. And then from the Apostle Paul, some of the things he said, what did he mean when he said in 1 Corinthians 7, to the rest speak I, not the Lord? Yeah. Was he just giving his own personal opinions? What did he mean when he said in 1 Corinthians 1, beginning verse 14, Christ sent me not to baptize? Ooh, that's a good one. He said, believe in baptism? Is that what that means? Yeah. And then what did Paul mean when he said Jesus is the firstborn of every creature, Colossians 1, 15? Does he mean that Jesus was created being? Again, our Jehovah's Witness friends use that verse to try and teach that. What did he mean by that? All right. So those are the questions we're going to try to get to
1: tonight. All right. Send us an email. Questions at collegeview.com or join in the chat room if you listen to us live. And guest... 826 in the chat room tonight says thank you for the bumper sticker. Got a bumper sticker. Got a right bumper there. sticker. We still got a few. Yeah. It? So if you're, you if you if you read that in the chat room, oh, I missed out. No, we no, still, we got, still got a few. Send yeah. us,
2: send us a, an email with your snail mail address and we'll send you a bumper sticker.
1: All right. Thank you, 826, for helping us to get the word out about the program. All right. Things we've always wondered about. Number one is not something we've always wondered. Well, maybe we have always wondered. What
2: do you do about those questions? Why didn't God answers? tell us more? Why didn't He give us more information? Why are these? Why are there questions that we can't answer? Yeah. That sort of thing. What do we do about that? What should we do about those questions the Bible doesn't seem to answer or doesn't give us a definite answer about? It, it could be just some historical detail, or it could be something else. You know, why, why didn't why don't we get more information? All right. I think it's important. I, I think the very simple answer to that is that what God gave us is everything we need, and if it's not there, we don't need it. Yeah. You know, uh, the Bible is complete. Uh, Thoroughly furnishes us unto all good works, 2 Timothy 3, verse 17 says. And so the inspired word of God, that's that text, you know, a very famous text, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So if it's a good work you need to be doing it, and if it requires information to get the job done, God's word tells you about it. Uh, that 's just that 's just plain and simple, and then a similar statement by Peter in second Peter one verse three, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that called us to glory and virtue. Notice in the past tense his divine power hath given it's already given us everything that pertains to life and godliness, and so if it 's something that you need to live your life uh, in an acceptable manner before God, he has already given that to you. Now, I think the 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 takeaway from that is, therefore, if it's not there in the Bible, if that answer is not there in the Bible, then I don't need it. Yeah. Uh, it, it's going to take some
1: faith. A lot of people have their face shaken when they can't answer all the questions. But we have to have the faith that God's given us what we need to know and leave it at that. And, um, and as you said, we can understand, we can know what we need to know. Paul said that he had written things in Ephesians chapter 3, uh, verse 3, beginning, How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. So God has revealed things to the authors of the of the Bible. They've written it in such a way that we can understand what God wanted us to understand. And so we need to have confidence that We'll be okay with the things that God has
2: revealed to us. So anything that's not there is not essential to our salvation. Yeah. Simply not necessary. And, you know, part of this, too, is um, we need to limit
1: our mental faculties where they need to be limited. A lot of people want to to know things that we probably couldn't process if God had revealed them. Yeah. You know, there's some things about eternity and about God and his nature and about certain workings in the world that, we just can't, we couldn't understand if he had
2: put them on paper for it. And, and in his wisdom, he knew what we needed to have and what we didn't need to have, and he gave us the right things. Yeah. You know, there's, it's interesting in John chapter 21, uh, verse 25, there's sort of an inspired admission that not everything is in the Bible. John said, There are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written, everyone, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. So John's sort of admitting it's not all there. Right. But he said in chapter 20, beginning verse 30, many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name.
1: There it is right there. Yeah. Everything that we need so that we can have eternal life is right there.
2: for Yeah. You. He said he, he admitted it's not all here, but everything you need is here. Right. And I, right. I think that's the main thing.
1: Yeah. And part of this goes to contentment, too. God's revealed what he's chosen to reveal to us, and let's be content with that and uh, trust that it's what we need and to be thankful for what he's told us.
2: Uh, so we need to be thankful for that. Um, there's there's sort of a familiar uh, statement that a lot of our listeners will, will uh, sort of re- relate to, and I think I'm surprised it hasn't popped up in the chat room already. Deuteronomy 29.29. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So the things we need to keep God's law, to please him, he has revealed. There, But admittedly, there's some secret things he has chosen not to reveal to us. You know,
1: this I may be getting into a little speculation myself, but see if you agree with this. Don't you think that there's, an, there's enough things that we understand, can't understand the Bible, to keep us fully occupied and thinking about those things and doing those commands, as it says there. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. And
1: don't you, has it been your experience that those who like to dwell on the things that weren't answered and the questions that they'd like Speculation would it not be your experience that those are the people who are not focusing enough on the things that they do know and doing what they do know Yeah. and and they're they're not the people they, they should be because of their Dwell, dwelling on the things they wish they had very, known. Very
2: much so. I think that's right. You know, they, uh, like you said, there's enough there to keep us fully occupied. There's some really, really, really smart people who've devoted their whole lives to studying the Word of God and never got done.
1: Yeah.
2: I mean, uh, it is. Uh, it is. I really think that's sort of a subtle sign of the inspiration of the Bible. You know, a, a book that a man wrote, you might read it once, uh, maybe look it over a second time, but you'd, you'd put it down after that. There's not anything there to keep yeah. you coming back. Right. The Bible keeps us coming back and, and challenges us constantly with the things that it teaches. and, and I think that is, I'm, I'm sure the atheist would not accept that as a sign of inspiration, but I think those of us who believe see that as sort of a unique feature of the Bible that is likely only there because God inspired it. All right, let's go to our
1: listeners' answers to this question. We'll start down in South Africa with James tonight. He says, on a non-answer, that is a question, a question the Bible doesn't give an answer for, he says we probably should avoid speculation and on a non-definitive answer be open to multiple points of view and avoid being dogmatic that's good thank you, you james there for there that you. and jeff his jeff is in the chat room tonight uh, jeff says we do the best we can with what the bible does answer and i think jeff is echoing what we've said already thank you right jeff, right that. good jeff and then we got chris in the uk he says well it doesn't tell me what to have for breakfast tomorrow, but there are guidelines as to that. Plus, I don't need to know some things as they aren't important, like Jesus' shoe size. Never thought about that, but (laughs) yeah, that's one. Uh, We do, though, have all that is needed for life and godliness and focus on that, and we are warned against debating over purely controversial matters, but those that will build each other up. Uh, Also, I'm reminded of that Twain quote, and that would be Mark Twain, most people are bothered by those passages of Scripture they don't understand. But for me, I always have noticed that the
2: passages that bother me are those I do understand. Exactly right. And that's true. Thank yeah. you for that. I think that's a good point that he makes. You know, I, I like the way he said it. It doesn't tell me what to have for breakfast tomorrow, but it does give me some guidelines as to how to do even such things as eat. Right. You know, uh, so I, I I can take the principles. I can apply it. I can apply there are principles there there are sufficient principles and information in the, in the word of God that it will perfectly regulate my entire life 24/7. Right. Every aspect of my life can be governed and properly handled Uh, By the word of God. All right, and And you got Ramona. We got Ramona. Ramona did the Passover on that. Oh, she didn't answer that one. Okay. Okay.
1: Uh, And Cody is listening to us in Brewston, Tennessee tonight. Cody, thank you for being here. Cody's first time viewing. He says, he says we we have enough to try and understand, and uh, the way God designed His Word, we can never learn
2: everything. I think that's right, Cody. You're right. Plenty to keep us busy. Thank you for that, Cody. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, let's take a break. When we get back, we'll get into the question about Jephthah's daughter. And uh, well, the bumper stickers are going viral in the chat room tonight. Jeff says he has to get one now. So Jeff, what you do? You send an email with your snail mail address, and there'll be one coming to you in the mail, no charge. Yeah, we'll get it right out. And it's not limited to Jeff. Anybody listening that wants one of those bumper stickers, oh, it's just an email away. Yeah. you can have your very own. You have own. your own. Yeah. All right, and you might even sign it if you. No, no, I'm not, not going to sign do. it. Okay, no, no. all right. We'll get a break and get your thoughts on the other side. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back right after this.
0: Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. I'm Dan Quillen, a member of the College of Church of Christ with some thoughts about
2: making plans. Have you made any definite plans for your spiritual life and for your service for God? We spend time prioritizing personal lives and setting goals in our careers, but do we think in those terms about the most important thing, our soul? Ask yourself these questions. What am I planning to do for God today? In the coming week, What good thoughts will I accomplish for him? At this time next year, where do I want to be in my spiritual life? In five years from now, how will I have changed, improved, and grown in my work for God? Ten years from today, how will my family be? How will I have helped them grow spiritually? Twenty years down the road, how will I be doing? As I approach death, what will have been the most important things in my life? Where will I be in eternity? Here's some quotes worth pondering. A man who leaves only a financial inheritance for his children leaves them truly poor. The greatest obstacle to the impact of the gospel has been the failure of Christians to live it out. Man, wish I'd said that.
0: Quit checking your email. The commercials are over and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. We're back
1: on the program tonight talking about things that we may have always wondered about. And we talked just about those questions that the Bible may not specifically or definitively answer. We're going to get into some of those as we go along in the program tonight. Uh, but some things I think we can maybe come up with an answer
2: based yeah. on the facts that are presented. Yeah. The first one I think is an interesting one. It's an interesting question. And I, I have had people disagree with the position I'm going to take on this, well, on this question. this have at least
1: one differing view here in our emails. Uh,
2: I remember uh, years, several years ago this came up in discussion and uh, an elder in the church took great contention with me because of the position I took. It has to do with Jephthah's daughter, and you may remember that Jephthah was uh, uh, going to go out uh, lead lead God's people in battle against the Ammonites, and he said, "We'll, we'll read this in a minute." But basically, he said, "If you'll be with me, Lord, in, in this battle, and if, if, if we if we win it, when I come home, whatever comes out of the house to meet me, I'll, I'll offer it as a sacrifice to you." And uh, and of course, then when he did come back home, having won the battle. His daughter, his only daughter, came out of the house and, uh, oh, man, now we got a problem. Now we got a problem. So did he offer his daughter as a human sacrifice to God? All right. I think we've got to build a little background here okay. first. The background I want to build is first to note that categorically God hates human sacrifice, always has. Deuteronomy 12, beginning verse 29 The Lord thy God shall cut off the nations from before thee, whether thou goest to possess them, and thou succeedest them, and dwellest in their land. For every abomination to the Lord which he hateth they have done unto their gods, for even their sons and their daughters they have burnt in the fire to their gods. So one of the reasons God was going to dispossess the the Canaanites, the people in the land of Canaan, and give it to the children of Israel, one of the reasons why he was going to use the Israelites as his agent to punish them and drive them out, was because they had been offering human sacrifices. Yeah. In fact, when God gave the law to Moses, he even specifically forbade them to, to offer human sacrifice. Deuteronomy 18, verses 9 and 10, When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not learn to do after the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire. To pass through the fire was the expression used of those who offered human sacrifices, their own children uh, as human sacrifices. So God hates it. The law forbade it. All right? Yeah. In fact, the law said the only thing that you can offer is a sacrifice. You can't even offer every kind of animal. You can only offer clean animals. Uh, Exodus 13, beginning verse 12. Thou shalt set apart unto the Lord all that openeth the matrix and the f- every firstling that cometh of the beast which thou hast. The males shall be the Lord's. And every firstling of an ass thou shalt redeem with a lamb, and if thou wilt not redeem it, then thou shalt break his neck, and all the firstborn of man among the children shalt thou redeem. You could offer you could offer a sacrifice clean animals. The firstborn work the Lord's. Right, right. You could offer the firstborn clean animals as a sacrifice, but if it was an unclean animal like an ass or a donkey, mm-hmm. you can't do that. You'd break its neck. Yeah. If, or you could redeem it. You could pay you could pay money. And, and buy it back. It belonged to the Lord because fir- all the firstborn were his. You could redeem it or buy it back with it, with it, by contributing money. And you had to redeem your firstborn child. Yeah, they didn't child. say you could offer him, because they were doing that. You, they didn't say you could offer him.
1: The, the people you had that, to redeem him, because yeah,
2: you, couldn't, you couldn't offer him. There were
1: people in the land that were doing that, burning their kids, but not the Israelites. They were to, yeah. they were to the firstborn was dedicated to the Lord, but the, the way they took care of that was by redeeming it with another sacrifice.
2: Yeah, here's another statement, Numbers 18, beginning verse 15. The firstborn of man shalt thou surely redeem, and the firstling of unclean beasts shalt thou redeem. And those that are to be redeemed from a month old shalt thou redeem according to thy estimation for the money of five shekels after the shekel of the sanctuary, which is 20 giras. But the firstling of a cow or the firstling of a sheep or the firstling of a goat, thou shalt not redeem. They are holy. Thou shalt sprinkle their blood upon the altar and shall burn their fat for an offering made by fire for a sweet savor unto the Lord. you got to offer the firstborn of those clean animals to the Lord. So here's our background then real quickly. don't want to take too much time on this, but... God hates human sacrifice, the law forbid human sacrifice, the law specified only clean animals, not even all animals, even only clean animals could be offered in sacrifice. Now, having said all that, would Jephthah know this? Yes. Jephthah would know this. He would. He, Jephthah was a man of faith uh, who knew the law of God. In fact, he's mentioned, you may remember, in Hebrews chapter 11, that chapter that talks about all the great heroes of faith. Yeah. Hebrews eleven thirty two. what shall I say? More for time should fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak of Samson and of Jephthah, yeah. of David also and Samuel and the prophets. Not only was he a man of faith, he was also an inspired man. Yeah. Judges 11, 29, the spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. Okay, wow, yeah. So, now, would Jephthah even con- have, that being the case, would Jephthah have even ever even contemplated offering a human being is sacrificed to God. You, you would think in that context that it would certainly be been forbidden. Completely against all that he knew and, and the kind of life that he lived. He was a man of God. He was a faithful man of God. He would have never have thought to do that. Now, that being the case, go to the actual episode. Judges 11. Judges 11, verse 30. Jephthah vowed a vow to the Lord and said, If thou shalt without fail deliver the children of Ammon into my hands. Then it shall be that whatsoever cometh forth of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the children of Ammon shall surely be the Lord's and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. Just asking a uh, sort of a general question. Considering the fact that there were only a few kind of animals that could be offered as a burnt sacrifice. What's the chances that a clean animal would have been the first thing to come out of You're Jephthah's house? Like maybe the dog came out to see him? The dog, his daughter, a cat, you know. Uh, what's, the ch- what's the chance that it would be a cow, a sheep, or a, a goat? <laughs> would have been the uh, low odds, right? Yeah. Jephthah would have known that. So what did he say here? Notice that last expression. Uh, whatever comes out the door of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the children of family, shall surely be the Lord's and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. There's a marginal note there that the word and might should be or. Okay. Yeah. And that would completely change the tenor of this promise. It'll be the Lord's or I will offer it up for a burnt sacrifice. In other words, either I'll, I'll dedicate it to the Lord or if it's a clean animal, I'll offer it as a burnt sacrifice to the Lord. He was he was making it so that he could fulfill that vow either way. If it was a clean animal, he'd offer it as a burnt sacrifice. But if it was a, 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 a human or an unclean animal, he would devote it to the Lord. That's what he was saying. He wasn't saying, no matter what comes out the door, I'm going to offer it as a burnt sacrifice. He wasn't saying that. Uh, so what happened? Judges 11, 34, Jephthah came to Mizpah to his house and behold his daughter came out to meet him with timbrels and dances and she was his only child. Beside her he had neither son nor daughter and so it was his, it was his daughter who came out. So what did he do? She said, verse 37, she said to her father, let this thing be done for me, let me alone two months that I may go up and down upon the mountains and bewail my virginity and my fellows. Notice, she was bewailing her virginity. She wasn't bewailing her life. Yeah. She wasn't saying, no, my life's over. I'm going to be killed here in a, f- in a couple of days. No, she was bewailing her virginity. She would remain unmarried. Uh She would be devoted to the Lord in his service. Jephth- she would have no child. Jephthah would have no lingering, ongoing heir. Uh That's what he did. He devoted his daughter to the Lord, much like Hannah. Uh-huh. Devoted Samuel, Samuel to the Lord when right. when he you know she said if you give me a child I'll devote him to you that's what that's what Hannah did concerning her son Samuel that's what Jephthah did concerning his daughter when she came out to the door to meet him guess fourteen ninety one's on the same wavelength
1: fourteen ninety one says no he didn't exclamation point after her retreat she went to the temple I think it would have been the tabernacle at this point never married no progeny for her family.
2: Yeah. Uh, uh, in fact, uh, just keep reading a little further in the text, Judges eleven thirty nine. It came to pass after the end of two months that she returned unto her father, who did with her according to his vow which he had vowed, and she knew no man.
1: Now, that's a little bit unusual to put that in there. I mean, if, if he cut her head off or he burned her at the stake, you'd think that, that's what they would have noted, not that the fact that she knew no man. So that yeah. seems to fit the, the interpretation you've given it there.
2: Yeah. And the text goes on to say, and it was a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went yearly to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite, four days in a year. The word lament there from the Hebrew word Tanah means to ascribe praise, to celebrate, to commemorate, to rehearse. And so she they celebrated it, it, yeah, you know, it would have yeah celebrate that if he. You know. I mean, if it was like
1: an unfortunate event, uh, he he made a mistake and he had to sacrifice his daughter and kill her, then there would be nothing to celebrate at that point.
2: Uh, and it was a custom, and, and, and the information here explains why it was a custom in Israel for them to observe the, the the matter of Jephthah's daughter.
1: All right, some differing opinions in the email tonight. Ramona in Texas says, if he did so, that would be offer his daughter as a sacrifice. He did it without God's approval because the law of Moses condemned human sacrifice in Deuteronomy 18, verse 10. Yeah,
2: so she's making the point, if he Jesus, did it, he shouldn't have done it. it, it was, yeah, it was in but, violation of God's But word. in response to that, I say, but don't forget He's mentioned in Hebrews 11 as a great hero of faith. Yeah. All right. So James
1: in South Africa differs. He says, yes, as far as I can tell, he did. There was a provision in the law of Moses for paying money instead of keeping a vow, but there's no indication Jephthah did this. Some have said that the sacrifice was actually her living a life of perpetual virginity, thereby ending Jephthah's family, but I haven't seen much proof of that. That is what the rabbis have said in some of the Targums. Yeah. So thank yeah. you for that response, James. James disagrees, but I disagree with James, I have to say. I, not, that doesn't happen very often. But uh, say okay. uh, Jeff says, uh, I don't think she was a human sacrifice per se. Yes, she was a human who was sacrificed, but they weren't in the practice of human sacrifice. Jephthah had made a vow to God to offer as a burnt offering whatever came through the door, and he simply kept it. It just so happened, no doubt, to his chagrin, that it was his daughter that came out uh, first
2: through the door. So Jeff thinks he did too.
1: No, Apparently. no, no. He does. I don't think so. Yeah, they just in this in the chat room. He can. He can. Yeah. Did clarify. you think
2: yes or no? I, I I took your email to mean that you thought you did. And
1: then Chris in the UK, people sin. If he knew the law, he would have known God to human sacrifice. Did he offer her as a human sacrifice? Not rightly though. Well,
2: if yes. he did, if he did, it wasn't right. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't right. right. Okay. But but again, I, every, if, for those of you who are, are having trouble. Ex- uh, accepting my point of view on this, I wanna I want you to dwell on I'm I'm not gonna be adamant about this. It's really not a thing to be adamant about, but in Judges eleven thirty one, do a little reading he says, Whatever cometh forth of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the children of Ammon surely shall surely be the Lord's and but other versions or footnotes say or shall surely be the Lord's or I will offer it up for a burnt offering. That that sort of i think tells the tale right there 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 is a point here that
1: we need to make before we uh, move off of this um in the old testament there were some very stern words about vowing a vow or saying you were going to do something and not following through for example in in uh, ecclesiastes uh let's see here um ecclesiastes chapter five verse four When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it. For he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better it is that thou shouldest not vow than thou shouldest vow and not pay. Jephthah understood that. When you say you're going to do something, when you're saying it to God, do it for crying out loud. And and so in the Old Testament that was the case. It wasn't just with God. Notice in uh, Psalm uh, 15, verse 4. Psalm 15, verse 4. Uh, beginning in verse 3, actually. Um, It says, uh, He that uh, backbiteth not with his tongue the people that God uh, approves of, nor doth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor, in whose eyes a vile person is condemned, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changes not. That's the idea of, I said I was going to do something, and then later on. Now it's going to cost me. Oh, I didn't know I would have to do it uh, I like didn't this. know it's going to be that expensive. Yeah, right. No, you said you're going to do it. Do it. Even even to your hurt. That was in the Old Testament. Yeah. In the New Testament, we all know that Jesus said, "Let your yea be yea and your nay nay." When you say you're going to do something, we need to we need to take note of that. God expects us to live up to our word. Jephthah did that here, and uh, and that's a good example for us
2: all. Yeah. Yeah. Either right. way you take it, whether he offered her as a human sacrifice or just offered her as a devoted thing to God, right. which I think is the right answer. But either way, he. He kept a vow. He kept his vow. Which is uh, what, an example first? for us. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, but here's uh, sort of the other side of that coin. What if I made a vow to God, I'm going to rob a bank tomorrow and give all the money and the contribution on Sunday? Eh, well, I don't think that's going to work out too good for you. See, but, but that's almost what you'd have Jephthah doing right? if he said, I'll offer a, a human as sacrifice. If the human's the first thing that comes out the door I, I, and I'm going to, I'm going to do what I said I would do. That wouldn't be pleasing to God. I mean, you can't, you, you'd be keeping a vow that God that was a, was a, uh, a rash and foolish vow to start with. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: All right. Let's go uh, get a break at this week's bullet point, And when we get back, we'll take your thoughts on, well, this one's uh, perhaps uh, even more uh Undefinitive. Paul thorn in the flesh. Jeff uh, says, uh, "Yeah, he said I did when I read the text after seeing your email uh, question. He said yes, he did think that he, she did, he was she was offered, but now I can see how it could be how you said as well. In that culture, not having descendants is a serious disgrace. So Jeff, the not having further heirs is just as effective as killing his daughter." So thank you, Jeff, for, the, yep. for those comments. Thanks, Jeff. We'll get a break, and take your thoughts on the other side. Paul's in in the flesh when we get back. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual
0: Bible Study
2: will continue right after this.
0: Don't touch that mouse. The Virtual Bible Study will be back right after this.
2: This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. Hezekiah is remembered as one of the great kings in Judah. The nation prospered under his rule, and his royal record draws high marks. You can read about that in 2 Kings 18, verses 5 and 6. What was it that made him a great king, and what might we learn that will help us be effective servants for God? First, it should be observed that his greatness did not come based upon his family relationships. His father, Ahaz, was a horrible ruler, even offering some of his own children as sacrifice to pagan gods, 2 Kings 16, verses 2 through 4. But Hezekiah overcame the terrible heritage passed down from his father. We too can overcome the unfortunate baggage of our kinship. Furthermore, Hezekiah was not great because he was older and wiser when he came to office. He was only 25 years old when he assumed the throne, 2 Kings 18, verses 1 and 2. Yet he was diligent and faithful from day one, 2 Chronicles 29, verses 1 through 3. Young folks today need to realize that they have great potential in God's service, even in their youth. Actually, the defining statement about Hezekiah is found in 2 Kings 18, verse 3. Quote, he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Notice that it was not what was right in the sight of men, but of the Lord. The men of his day would likely have wanted to continue in the sinful ways of Hezekiah's father. But this new king was determined to do what God desired. And this was no mere lip service to God, but real action. Notice, quote, He removed the high places and broke the images and cut down the groves. He even break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses made because the people had turned it to an idol. There was no compromising spirit in Hezekiah. He claved to the Lord and departed not from following him, but kept his commandments, 2 Kings 18, verse 6. Hezekiah's example of obedience to God and loyal service stands as a worthy example for us all. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it.
1: Hello, I'm Nick Law from Jennings, Florida. I love to listen to the virtual Bible study and hear God's Word taught every Thursday night.
0: We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the Virtual Bible Study. Now, back to the
1: program. And we're back on the program, reminding you this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. We encourage you, if you've not been to our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com, maybe you found us on iTunes and you have just been listening to the podcast there, you've never been to our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com, lots of good information there. And over, well, we'll see, we're getting up to 11 years now in just a few months worth of Virtual Bible Study programs. Check it out there, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. dot and we'll remind you. Get one of those bumper stickers while they're while the getting's good. Send an email to questions at collegeview com with your mailing address, and we'll get one in the mail to you free of charge talking about questions that maybe people have wondered about and maybe some questions that are a little bit difficult to understand on the program tonight. We're getting to one now that's uh, a little bit difficult to understand. Yeah,
2: and I think not, probably not a definitive answer, but not a necessary one either. It's, it's interesting to speculate about, but there, there's some lessons to learn about Paul's thorn in the flesh without even knowing definitively what the thorn in the flesh was. And, uh, we do
1: have one definitive answer about Paul's thorn in the flesh, and it comes from James in South Africa. James says, it was sharp as all thorns are. Yeah, that's a That's about as definitive as you can yeah, get. Yeah. It was painful. And uh, and it would have been a, a discomfort.
2: Here's the text. Second Corinthians 12, verse seven, beginning, lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing, I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then am I strong. There were, there's some things obvious about this. It was a, apparently a painful situation. Uh, it was chronic in that it was ongoing. It didn't, it, it stayed with him. And it was beyond his personal ability to remedy it. We know that. Now, commentators have speculated all over the place about what the specific thorn was. I've got a list here of some of them that I've read about. Eye trouble, stomach trouble, headaches.
1: Yeah, a have bit of thorn, yeah.
2: A temper that was difficult to control. Yeah. The memory of the persecutions he had caused. Some person or persons who made problems for him. Constant rejection by the Jews, or as he expressed, the care of all the churches. I'm I'll, I lean heavily toward the first thing mentioned there, eye trouble. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that's probably the majority opinion, although it's not provable. Uh, well, and
1: if he did have eye trouble, that doesn't necessarily mean that that was the thorn in the flesh he was speaking about. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. It, it, uh, you know, i got bad arthritis, but the real problem is that, you know, if I've got, uh, you know, my foot's been amputated or something. Yeah, know? yeah. Uh,
2: Paul uh, Paul had some issues. Uh, I don't know what you might call this, but he said in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1, beginning, Brethren, when I came to you, came, I came not with excellency of speech or wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ, Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. Uh, so, in other words, he he didn't he didn't have a, a commanding physical presence, so to speak. Uh, but he did mention eye trouble. Galatians five, excuse me, Galatians four, verse fifteen. Uh, I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and have given them to me. Yeah. And in the same letter, Galatians 6, verse 11, you see how large a letter I've written unto you with my own hand. So a lot of people think his, his, his thorn in the flesh or problem was his eyesight. But as was, you said, was you... he clearly had apparently eyesight trouble, but that may or may not have been the thorn. Okay. All right. Yeah, so he was using
1: large letters because he couldn't see, and so yeah, yeah. and so that's there's lots of uh, there's lots of support to that theory. You know, I really like what Ramona said about it. Ramona says I have my thoughts that it could have been his eyesight, and she speculates from when he was blinded. You remember when he yeah. saw Jesus on the road? That could have damaged his eyes permanently, she says. But we should go into his thoughts about it and not Good. what it was. Exactly. And she references there, my grace is sufficient to you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's where, that's the heart of it here. And thank you, Ramona, for pointing that out, is not what the specifics were. And maybe that's God's wisdom
2: in not re- revealing it. We talked about that. Because we name. could apply it to our issues yeah. Yeah, the maybe. same way. Yeah, maybe. Look, I had a, I, similar to Ramona, I had the same sort of list. First of all, he didn't blame God for it. You know, a yeah. lot of people, go, why is God doing this to me? Yeah. He didn't blame God for it. He yeah. prayed about it. He accepted it when it became clear that it wasn't going to change and he was going to have to live with it. He, he accepted it. He looked for blessings in yeah. it. Yeah. You know, that he could see that good came to him by virtue yeah. of dealing yeah. with it. And he even learned to rejoice about it. Yeah. So I think I, I really like what Ramona had to say. Excellent, there. Ramona. Thank you. Um,
1: Guest 1491 says, eye conditions in that era were very common. He wrote with large letters. You know, that's something that in our modern-day medicinal world, and you probably know about this, Kyle, from your occupation, is that blindness was a much larger problem in years gone past than it is today.
0: Oh, yeah. When well, you think about any uh, any modern ailment, it's how... Uh I don't know, just the vast amount of uh, deaths that were occurring even from the smallest things, or even just to how, which you know, in Benjamin Franklin invented the bifocals in the 1700s. I guess it was just how common eye problems were, and even you just couldn't, you had to suffer through it. You had to yeah. get right up been, on your face, and it would
2: have made life very difficult.
0: Oh, yeah, I mean, extremely.
2: You wouldn't have been able to do a lot well, of things that would have been necessary just to sustain life in those times. So you, you, those of us who wear thick glasses certainly can't appreciate the time we live in. Well,
1: certainly corrective, but when our kids were born, the first thing they did is squirt some stuff in their eyes, almost the first thing when they come out. Yeah. And that apparently, if not too many years ago, that a large number of children were being born and getting infections in their eyes as they were in the birth process. And go blind for that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so blindness is certainly problem. You talk about all, you think about all the people that Jesus was
2: healing that were blind. Yeah.
1: And uh,
2: when was the last time you saw somebody who was blind? Then, uh, right now, I mean, in, in my lifetime I have known blind people, but right now I don't think I have a personal acquaintance of someone who's totally blind. Right. So, yeah, it would have been a big problem. Of course, Paul wasn't totally blind,
1: but he did have an eye problem. Yeah. Uh, did Pierce. you
2: get Jeff? Jeff's, I did not. Uh, he said, I would venture to say that Paul's thorn was all the persecution that he had endured for preaching the gospel. That's possible. I think that's a possibility.
1: Sure. And then uh, we have uh, Chris in UK. Some say an eye defect. Frankly, we don't know. But we do know that God's grace is sufficient for him. And if it's sufficient for him, it's sufficient for us. Yeah, I, think, than...
2: I really think, as Ramona said, the, the important thing is not to know what the thorn was specifically, but observe how he handled it. Right. Because all of us are going to have issues in our life. And we can learn how Paul dealt with his big issue is the same way we should deal with our issue. It may not be the same issues, but how we deal with them should be the same. Yeah. Yeah, so
1: you'll get that back to that uh, re- revelation, thing, the wisdom of God. And, you know, maybe it was an ingrown toe and toenail, and Paul's real worried about that. <laughs> he couldn't walk. Well, I don't have an ingrown toenail, so I'll just skip over that passage. No, yeah, yeah. There's, there's lessons here for all of us. And by not knowing a specific ailment, then it helps us to make application to our lives.
2: All right, let's go. Let's get this next one real quickly, and then we'll have to hurry in our last segment to get these statements from Paul, what they meant. But did Solomon really believe that the earth would never be destroyed? Our, our uh, Jehovah's Witness friends like to misuse Ecclesiastes chapter one, verse four:
1: mm-hmm.
2: "One generation passeth away, and another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever." All right. And uh, they love to use that uh, to say that this earth will never be destroyed. They're hinging that on the statement the earth abides forever. Well, first of all, the word forever does not necessarily mean time without end. Like infinity forever. Uh, In Leviticus chapter 6, verse 13, the fire on the altar will be burning in it. Uh, Verse 13, the fire shall ever be burning upon the altar. It shall never go out. Well, guess what? Yeah. The fire went out. That altar we don't that altar doesn't exist anymore, and the fire that was on it has certainly gone out. But it means the word forever means for a long, long duration, a a a constant through generations right. is the idea. Uh, uh also uh Exodus twelve verse fourteen. Uh just there's lots of examples like this in yeah, Exodus lot. twelve verse fourteen. Uh, this day shall be to you for a memorial talking about the Passover. You shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it a feast by ordinance forever. But that, that ordinance has been done away with, you know, that that's one of the ordinances that was nailed to the cross of yeah. Calvary yeah. Uh, Colossians two fourteen through 16. So forever doesn't mean time without end. Yeah. Uh, it just means a long, long time. Uh I think that's the first part of our answer to that question. Sure. Lots of places
1: we can see uh, the, talking about in back in the book of Leviticus, talking about the different rules There were there were perpetual statutes or covenants. Yeah. Well, obviously, they're not in existence anymore. Yeah. Um,
2: uh, that's so that's one. That's one explanation. That's part of the explanation. Yeah. I think the other part of the explanation is the book of Ecclesiastes itself, Uh solomon is dealing with the frustrations that he saw in life vanity the king james uses the word vanity vanities all is vanity saith the preacher he was really upset by the reality of of things in life yeah. and and lots of the passages in ecclesiastes he's dealing with that that sort of frustration this life is not going to go on forever and i'm going to die and i'm going to leave behind everything i've i've created and made you know the wealth and the <clears throat> so forth and uh, you know one place uh, who knows who I' will leave this to may he may he, he, may, he not, may not have any good sense at all, No, he may, yeah. he may squander everything yeah, that i' right, right. that i've accumulated right and it's in it's in that vein that he says one generation passes away and another generation cometh. in other words this this process of generation coming uh i 'm going to die, my children are going to come along they're going to die their children are going to come, but the earth is going to keep on going in other words he's just he 's just contrasting the the shortness of life in contrast to the continuing creation that exists. Right. And and that's sort of the theme throughout the whole book of Ecclesiastes. But to say that the earth will never be destroyed because of what Solomon said would be to force one passage of Scripture against another. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Peter clearly said in 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 10, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Yeah. Uh, the, so, you know, to, to try and force Solomon's statement, Ecclesiastes 1 verse 4, to mean that the earth will never be destroyed would force it to be in contradiction with 2 Peter 3 verse 10, and you can't do that. All right. Ramona says it would have been in the context
1: he was comparing the generation of man against the continuity of the world, uh, yeah, and so that I, that perspective I, I that he was think taking. That's right. I think that's right. Chris. And uh, James says, "Forever" is used in many ways in the Old Testament. Surely Solomon didn't know what would happen to the earth in the end, but perhaps from his observation in life, he noticed that people came and went, but the earth was still there. I think that's it. All right. And Jeff said,
2: "Jeff, skipped.
1: No problem there." Uh, Chris. Chris says, "Yes, it, it says abides forever in the uh, American uh, version. version of
2: King James version, but never changes in the New." Lit- New. But never changes. Instead, abides forever. King James says abides forever, but the... Oh, but it says in the New li- new what is it, in L-T? New Living Translation, never changes, never changes. Never changes. And remains forever
1: in the New American Standard. So Psalm 104, verse 5, it will not totter or move out of its place. Psalm 119, verse 90, it stands. Forever has more in the Hebrew that of performance rather no, no, than...
2: permanence.
1: Permanence, rather than the idea of eternity. Yeah. Uh, that is, it never ceases, increases or decreases. Hence, the analogy of the oceans given in verse seven, which just stay full.
2: Yeah, I think that's the idea. It's Thank talking that, about Chris. the continuity of the thing, not yeah. the eternity of it, but the continuity of it.
1: Uh, right. We talk co- continents too. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
2: Um,
1: all right. We
2: need to get a break. When we get back, uh,
1: Jeff, we need to talk. Uh, we got some more things to talk about about Paul. But Jeff says uh, we're talking about going back to the thorn in the flesh. He wonders if verse ten of Second Corinthians chapter uh, eleven answers the question it seems to include all that has been discussed here second corinthians 11 verse 10 says as the truth of christ is in me no one shall stop me from this boasting in the regions of Achaia." and so uh perhaps uh jeff's got some there maybe we can get some more information on that and then cody says it's not so much as to what it really was that is paul's thorn in the flesh all we know is what is revealed and as we saw earlier that's all we need. I will admit that it would be great to know those hidden secrets, but that belongs to God. Right. And 1491 says, thinking beyond what is written and taking liberty with context.
2: I'm not sure that. I'm not sure that. I mean, that's obviously something to avoid.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. Maybe we we'll follow up there as well during the break. We'll take a break. Go to the top of the hour. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back right after this.
0: Are you listening? There's going to be a test on this stuff. Stay tuned. The Virtual Bible Study will be right back after this.
1: This is Stephen Nicholson, a member of the College View Church of Christ, and I want to invite you to be a regular participant on the Virtual Bible Study.
0: Your input by way of emails
1: and phone calls are always welcome during the live program. We're also open to your suggestions
2: about possible topics for discussion on upcoming editions of the program. We'd love to hear from you anytime. We're tracking the trends on the Virtual Bible Study. According to a 2013 survey, more than half, 55% of Americans said they pray every day, while 23% said they pray weekly or monthly, and 21% said they seldom or never pray. Even among those who are religiously unaffiliated, 21% said they pray daily. Women, 65%, are more likely than men, 46%, to pray every day. Older people, 60%, are more likely than younger adults, 45%, to say they pray daily. That information is via Pew Research Center. The Word of God says in First Peter 3, verse 12, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil.
0: Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. We're back
1: on the program, We're going to the top of the hour, Jeff has corrected during the break. That's Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, where Paul says he will glory... Make pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So Paul had the right perspective, the perspective we need as we face challenges, as we all will. And so we need to follow his example. All right. We're talking about things that are difficult tonight, things we may have wondered about. And now we're getting to some statements of Paul that can be confusing.
2: Yeah. Okay, we've got to go quick because we're going to run out of time. You've got five minutes of question. Oh no, you've got uh, less than that—about yeah. two and a half minutes of question. Yeah. So, and we want to read our emails and today. And minutes. You get on the emails, Jacob. Let me read. I'm on Let the me. emails. Here's the question: What did Paul mean when he said, "To the rest speak I, not the Lord"? First Corinthians seven verse ten. Uh, I changed that to read what you were reading. First Corinthians seven verse ten. Unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. Let not the wife depart from her husband. But and if she depart, let her remain unmarried, or be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. But to the rest speak I, not the Lord. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And the woman which hath a husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. Let's let James in South Africa
1: answer this question. Okay. He does it very succinctly. Jesus did not address the specific situation of an unbelieving spouse addressed in First Corinthians 7, verse 10. So Paul, through the Holy Spirit, addressed it. Remember that Paul was writing the commandment of the Lord, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 37. I think that's exactly right. I think he nailed it. Yeah. All right. And then we have Chris in the UK. Um, He says, sorry, it's not I, but the Lord, not as in the question. If you mean... uh, uh, Verse 12. Verse 12. And he's giving what may be a personal opinion that if the unbeliever now wants a divorce, go ahead. But that would go against at least verse 10. So he wants people to know... It, this is not the Lord's command.
2: I don't think I agree with that. I'm not. Uh, this is a little this is a little disjointed to me, Chris. But I don't think I agree. I, it, Paul is not giving personal opinion. If that's the case, <coughs> how do we separate his personal opinion from his inspired instruction? And is it binding? Yeah. No, I, I think that James's explanation is the right one. He's giving additional information. Jesus spoke concerning marriage and divorce. But he didn't deal with that specific. And so by inspiration, Paul is giving that instruction. Uh, you know, Jesus said when he promised the Holy Spirit would come upon his apostles that he would cause them to remember what he had taught and guide them into all truth. Yes. Uh, what, are you, what are you looking at? You've got something there. Uh, uh, I, I just I – <clears throat> uh, no, go ahead. I was
1: looking back at the context there. So, yeah. Go ahead.
2: Uh, let, me, let me read that uh, statement, that uh, the promise about the Holy Spirit upon the apostles. Uh, uh, John 14, verse 26, the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Uh, then in chapter 16, uh, I have yet many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. In other words, I haven't told you everything. Howbeit when, this is chapter 16 of John verses 12 and 13, howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, whatsoever he shall hear, that shall ye speak, and he will show you things to come. So Jesus said, the Holy Spirit, I, I, I got things to tell you, but I, you can't bear them right now, but the Holy Spirit, he's going to cause you to remember what I told you, and he's going to guide you into all the rest of the truth that I didn't specifically tell you.
1: All right. Okay.
2: All right, so Good time the, on that one. The, the next question come. The, the next statement of Paul that raises some question is 1 Corinthians 1, beginning verse 14. Uh, he says, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 14, I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in my own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, and so on he goes. Those oh. people, who, there are people who, of course, and we've dealt with them so so often on the virtual Bible study, there are people who deny the necessity of baptism. This is a favorite protest.
1: Well, it looks pretty good on the surface. Yeah. I see there, Paul wasn't baptizing people. Why are you saying we got to baptize people? Paul, well, God
2: told Christ told him not even to baptize. Yeah, you know, just from the text, my first observation would be, if he wasn't supposed to be baptizing people, then he did what he wasn't supposed to do, because he said he baptized Crispus and Gaius and, and the household of Stephanus, and if he was if he wasn't supposed to be baptizing, then, yeah. then he was doing specifically yeah. what he was not supposed to yeah. be
1: doing. Yeah, I like what Jeff said about it. Jeff's in the chat room tonight. Jeff, uh, in his email earlier today, says Paul was just saying that it was his well, it was his was only his job to preach the gospel or the word to plant. It would seem that it was never for him to preach in one place. He had the go- uh, he had to the gospel and to plant it all over. Uh, but it was up to others to tend the places where he, uh, the seed took root. There were many who needed to hear it, but very few at the time who had the ability to proclaim the whole truth. Of course, now there are still many who need to hear it and plenty with the ability to proclaim it, but not many willing to. Also, he was saying that he, it didn't matter who baptized you. It just mattered that you were indeed baptized. And for what purpose?
2: Yeah, you know, the context, the immediate context just before this statement that we read from 1 Corinthians 1, Paul was condemning them. He said uh, that some of you are saying, I am of Paul, uh, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas. He said, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? In other words, and, and so then he says, I thank God that I baptized none of you, but Crispus and Gaius and the household stuff. In other words, he was condemning this sectarian spirit that was at Corinth, and they were call, and some of them were even calling themselves after Paul, and he didn't want them doing that. And and he was glad that he hadn't baptized any more than he had, lest he would have made the problem even worse than it already was in Corinth.
1: Yeah, that was we got to take it in context. Yeah, but no, I like, and here's what James says in South Africa. He says it is true that Christ didn't send him to baptize. He says no preacher is sent to baptize. Jesus did not send his disciples out to baptize. He told them to preach the gospel. Once the gospel was preached, those who believed needed to be baptized, and that's why Jesus commanded his disciples to baptize them in Matthew 28, verse 19. Who did the baptize? No one can definitively say. In Acts chapter 10, verse 47 and 48, Peter told someone to do it, but we don't know who did it. Um, So here James says preachers are to preach. They're... Their charter is not to be baptizing people. Their, their charter is to preach. The baptism will come as those respond to the things that are being preached. But they're,
2: they're, the only thing they can control is that they're preaching and spreading the word. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Chris in UK uses a sort of an interesting story. He said one time when Anthony was on the show when I was not here, he was sitting in this desk. Yeah. Often he sits behind the control board. He's, he says, I am not here to run the soundboard." Yeah. Does that mean that he never runs the soundboard? No, just that he isn't this time. Uh, so he he says uh, this is the same sort of thing with Paul. Uh, he even closely followed the names of people he did baptize, but that wasn't his main role. It does not denigrate or denounce baptism's role or properties. Hey, and and Chris says
1: he doesn't even agree with us on baptism, but at least he can see. The, That's, that, that, that verse, that verse doesn't is misused
2: to, to teach against baptism.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a little pet peeve that I think you and I both share on this uh, idea here, and that is on the idea of baptism. A lot of folks are in the uh, in the mode of setting goals for their congregation on how many baptisms they're going to have this year. Yeah. And I think Paul's instruction would be counter to that. Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah I think so. I mean, I
1: understand. The, I understand the motive, and it certainly is a, a noble motive and, and and a concern, but. The number of baptisms that we may be able to perform in a year is really beyond our control. Right. If we're all we're to do is teach the gospel, we need to be diligent in that, and certainly that will have an effect. But we can't control how many uh, folks are baptized. That's up to them and uh, their reaction to God's word. Yeah.
2: Got to go quickly to our last statement by Paul. What did Paul mean when he said in Colossians one? Let's see, uh, Colossians one verse fifteen. Yes. Uh, By him, Christ, were all things created that are in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. Uh, Oh, the previous verse. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature.
1: Now, you were talking about those who call themselves Jehovah's Witnesses earlier tonight. This is another one they like to show here, that Jesus is not deity. In fact,
2: he's He's just a a created being. He's he's the first thing God created, but he is created. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've dealt with that question before on the virtual Bible study. Uh, John one verse one in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And the same was with the same was in the beginning with God. Notice this. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. Okay. That excludes him from being a made thing, yes. right? Yes. It has to. Yes. So he's not a created being. All right. So if that's the case, what's this mean? Firstborn well, of
1: every Well, let's stay preacher. in the context here. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, that he is the uh, firstborn over all creation. But go on down. Verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Verse 18, look at Colossians 1, verse 18. The answer to this is in verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. That idea of being firstborn is, preeminence. is the preeminence. Yeah.
2: You know, uh, when we study the Old Testament, we, re- we recognize the importance of the firstborn in the family. Yes. The story of Jacob and Esau, you know, Esau selling his birthright. Uh, it was very, lots of significance on the firstborn. It was a position of preeminence. Yes. In the family. And that's what—that's how the the expression is being used here. When he's the firstborn of every creature, it's not that he was the first created, but that he is preeminent above all creation. It's this
1: relationship thing, not the order of, a, of a creation or anything. But also look in verse eighteen that to further uh, support this idea. It says that Christ is the firstborn from the dead. Well. Christ was raised from the dead, but he wasn't the first person to be raised from the no, dead. No, others have, Lots been raised, have been raised from yeah. the dead. He raised Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus from the, from dead. the dead. Yeah. Uh, so, but he he has the preeminence over those who had been raised from the dead. Uh, for, quickly, we're out of time. Jeff says Christ was the one through whom Christ's blessings would come and who would receive the Father's authority, much like the sons of the patriarchs, the blessings and authority came through the firstborn son, uh, well, most of the time anyways, and then uh James in South Africa says, firstborn in the sense of ruler because he was directly involved in actually doing the creating. See Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, for some parallels to this. And then Chris in the UK says that um, this is first in rank, not made first as it is uh, proto-coto, tokos uh-huh uh if it was to be the first made then a form of kitsu to so he's, create he's doing would be a language there. study for he's here. getting deep he's getting deep also next Exodus chapter 4 verse 22 israel the second twin born is called my son my firstborn first in position not in formation okay thank you for that
0: yes
2: all right, all right good i think that's an interesting study we, we hit it on a lot of bases but i think those are all sort of things i always wondered about that yeah sort of questions well people may still be wondering yeah. <laughs> hopefully we answer
1: some questions tonight uh
2: all right now
1: as we think about what we're going to talk about next week uh that's uh that's in, that you can have a, you our, can have listeners a con- for that contribution yeah maybe some things you've wondered about that we didn't talk about tonight we said, well i've always wondered about this
2: yeah so send it in send us an
1: email. and we'd like to hear from you questions on. at
2: collegeu.com
1: and check out uh, that email address for those bumper stickers if you want one of those Be sure to send us your email, your mail address. We'll get you those. Kyle, thank you for helping us out behind the board tonight. Appreciate your time tonight.
0: It's always good to be
2: here.
1: And, Dad, thank you for being here. Thanks, Jacob. Thank you for joining us. Hope you benefit from our study and discussion of God's Word. Hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study his inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it.